to school down the block from a crack den Where the boys in blue like to shoot at the black men And nowadays shit ain't much different from back then Too black for white homies, talk too white for my black friends I grew up and my first car was a black Benz I even lived in it for a while, but that's past tense Lights, camera, action, the Matrix reloaded Beast mode in West Coast and with my New York accent Lyrics take you places like a Lyft or a Uber Keep one eye open like Slick Rick the Ruler Cause even if I was blind I could still see the future I maneuver through the shooters to prove I wasn't a loser I'm motivated, I got bills to pay and kids to raise Smoking swishes, sweets and reminiscing on them simple days Listening to beats when my brain wasn't in the haze Now it's designer jeans, Benz trucks and Gucci shades We're all under the same sun with different shades Above the clouds but I'm underground like a city train My greatest strength came from my greatest pain And that explains all of the many contradictions in my brain Pan-Africanism and mad niggas in prison Mad bitches is tripping, they Instagramming and stripping Our third eye blind cause our people lacking the vision My bigger brother was really cooking that crack in the kitchen Unlearn has been one of my favorite artists since we first linked up in 04. From the content of his rhymes to his delivery, I've always had so much respect for the artist Unlearn is. While Un is originally from New York City, he's been putting down roots in the Bay Area, working on music and hip-hop education. In this interview, we break down his work in and thoughts on hip-hop ed, how he connects to the youth, and much more. After the interview, make sure you hit up the links to check out Unlearn's latest album, Universes. <laughs> back i don't even know how long i'd say probably 2004 with you yeah in. i would say at least 15 years like legit <laughs> yeah yeah 15 years that's crazy yeah it's, it's been it's been quite a minute we've both grown to be men so to speak <laughs> kids and everything man the whole nine man <laughs> so looking you know obviously we're facebook friends so i've been able to keep up with you and we've talked you know throughout the years but right now, man, you seem to be in a really good place. Um, yes, I'm. I'm very grateful to be in the, the the space that I'm in now. Like just doing a lot of uh, performing and a lot of hip hop education work. It's it's been my my life's dream to do all the things that I'm doing now. It's like a, a dream come true. So I'm really grateful and uh, appreciative of where I'm at right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing for me to watch the transformation. You know, going you going from artist to still being an artist but also really focusing on hip-hop pedagogy and how to spread you know hip-hop into the classroom and and to to kids you know how did you even get into that to begin with well i mean just before i get into that it's really just the next phase of the movement right when we talk about the movement that is hip-hop you know the music is is kind of the foyer into this world that creates a sense of belonging, a sense of community, all of these things. And I just think that like 
hip-hop pedagogy, for example, or just teaching with hip-hop is one of those next phases in that movement, right? Using hip-hop for um, social justice and trying to change things politically and socially in, in your neighborhood or in your community. That's also the next wave of, of where I think we're going with this movement after 45 years of it being around. Um, but it really started with me um, getting into beat-making and having a friend of mine, Dr. Elliot Gann, who I've known for a while, he's been a homie out here in the Bay Area, um, he started becoming, he was the executive director of a nonprofit called Today's Future Sound. He basically took it over from a homie of his and kind of expanded it and made it bigger and better than, than, than it was it, what it was in its previous incarnation. And um, we had always stayed in touch. We had always been friends. He used to host a lot of MC battles and producer showcases that I used to attend and participate in. So we always kept in touch. And when I just started going through my own thing and like making a transition in my life, um, he just seemed like the, the appropriate resource. And he wanted me to just start coming to meetings and coming into the classroom. And I had been volunteering on and off throughout the years. But then it finally got to a space where I guess the stars aligned, so to speak, where I was able to not only be in the classroom, but become one of the senior instructors. That happened like maybe, I'm, I'm thinking now it's going on five years. And from that point forward, just kind of being in the classroom and working with kids and kind of developing my own teaching style, I also developed my own curriculum, like talking points that I would make. And then just over the last year, after having done that work for four years or so, um, Another friend is my uh, Coffrey J, who was the executive director of Hip Hop for Change, which is another hip hop nonprofit out here in the Bay Area. He blessed me with the opportunity to be the education director um, and basically be able to kind of revise and, and create my own curriculum and the curriculum that they already had and then create different models for how we're going to do like public outreach and all of that. So I started taking that along with all the other things that I've learned just being in the music industry and being around the music industry to kind of expand the role and not only make it about teaching and education, but then also make it about artist development and community outreach and all the things that I've always wanted to do since I was like 12. So, <laughs> No, I think that's incredible what you're doing. And you look at developing your own curriculum. I mean, how do you go about even doing that? I start with myself. I start with telling my story, how I got into hip hop, how hip hop has helped me as a human being, not only to like become smarter, to be able to express myself, but also to heal. And, and, and I've, I've learned over the course of the last few years, how impactful trauma and adverse experiences are. And, and that's always been kind of the driving force in hip hop narratives, right? When you listen to some of your favorite rappers, we're hearing about their hardship. We're hearing about how they grew up in, in the hood or whatever their environment was. And we're hearing about their heartbreak and their pain and their hustle and all of these things. So it started with just kind of just telling my story. And I said, you know, we're in a climate now um, in the industry and in terms of the music where people are, are garnering fan bases, not because of the music per se, but because of the lifestyle they are um, preaching to and because of who they are as a person. So people are buying into lifestyles. So when it comes to education, it was like, let me just start with me. Let me start with what I've experienced as a participant in this culture. Having come from New York, I have a profound, uh, profoundly different level of insight than most people, say artists who come from Atlanta or the West Coast, you know, because I grew up in... in not only in the 
city that hip hop was started in, but in the era that hip hop grew and expanded. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an eighties baby grew up in the nineties. So I, I come from that golden era of hip hop that everybody, you know, heralds as, as, as the best era of, of the music and the culture. So just using those experiences to inform what I'm going to teach about and what I think is lacking in the current climate when it comes to hip hop awareness, you know, was really uh, pivotal. Just being able to fill in those blanks, like, yeah, there's the music, but do you know where the music comes from? Do you know why artists write hooks the way they do? Do you know why artists do their stage routine the way they do? That's all rooted in this small little party that started in the 70s and like how it expanded and grew into a musical genre and how that expanded and grew into a culture and a business and all of the things that we know it to be today. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, what kind of reaction do you get from kids who love the music but might not be aware of the deep history behind what they love? Um, I think it's, it, I, I always get a positive response for the most part. You know, um, it's really a matter of meeting kids where they're at and and keeping your ear to the street and being relevant. You know, I mean, kids are always kind of being given all these different gifts or tools or people in their lives and, and in the environment to like say, here, learn from this person. They may be able to help you more. They may be able to reach out to you more. And they're kind of used to that and they're also kind of over it. But when you come to them being very approachable, when you come to them with a, with a language and a, and a music that they understand, then they're a lot more receptive to what you have to, to say. So it's not like I'm coming in the classroom talking about Run DMC off top. You know, I, I, I start with, you know, whoever the hot artists are right now, whether it's Blueface or YBN Corday or whoever the young kids are listening to, I, I approach them with that. And I approach them in a way that, you know, I look like them. I still, I'm still fresh. So I still dress similar to how they dress. You know what I'm saying? So it's not like this old school hip hop head is going to tell you how it should be. It's more like, here's what it comes from. Here's what the music that you guys are listening to now, the music that y'all are vibing to and, and, and the culture the general broad culture that is informing how you go on social media, how you watch YouTube, how you watch how this culture started is rooted in all these other things. So let me show you and give you exposure to all these other things and also give you guidance as to what these other things were intended for. You know what I'm saying? I don't think hip hop from its onset was intended to become a billion dollar industry or did you have a bunch of dudes flashing money? It started as a way for kids to express themselves in a safe environment and to keep them away from all the other things that were plaguing them in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? So I, I try to make those parallels to uh, present day from what it started as in the 70s. And kids start to find those connections and they become really responsive and really receptive and engaged um, when, you, when you approach them in a way that they, they, they're already vibing on. No doubt. You know, as a teacher myself, you know, what I would notice is like, how important it is to connect kids music like their current tastes and not to you know completely disrespect what they listen to because I, I knew if they tell me that they're listening to the new Kodak Black or Future and I don't like it and I'm like oh that Future like that's that's whack like that's terrible that that immediately shuts down that conversation they're not going to bring anything else that they're listening to and the conversation really stops there because they're like you know he's he doesn't respect what I listen to um we can't have a conversation. So, well, I'll take you one further. I think people, def people generally define themselves with what their worldview is. 
And if music is an intrinsic part of your worldview, when a person says, I don't like that music, they're not interpreting it as he doesn't like my music. They're interpreting it as he doesn't like me. Good point. Right? Because my, my music is so in, entrenched in who I am and my identity. You know what I'm right. saying? And we, you're, you're a middle school teacher, right? Or like, what, what grade do you teach? So I was actually middle school for six years, high school for four. And right now I'm actually okay. working on my doctorate. So I'm not, I'm teaching college kids right now. So little okay. bit of everything. But in your experience as a middle school kid, like, or in, as a middle school teacher, you know that that's the age where most people start defining themselves and, right. and their musical taste. And like for me, in my experience, when I was 12 years old, it was the first time I started venturing out and buying CDs or stealing tapes from the record store. And like, that was the time where music started to identify me and shape my worldview away from what my parents had had me listening to. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that is a pivotal age of identity. And music becomes part of your identity. So when you have older people, um, especially in positions of authority, kind of knock or, or, or dismiss what you value, then you take it as a personal attack. And then you automatically find a way to dismiss them. And it then becomes a lot harder to get buy-in from students in order to teach them when they don't see you as somebody who is on their side. You know what I mean? And they have that adversarial point of view towards you. So I always, I always you know, I, I keep, and me having kids of my, of my own and having a middle school son, my own, you know what I'm saying? Also helps because him and I are able to always relate on music and I'm able to find out from him who, who people are listening to. So I can go in the classroom very well informed as to what the current musical climate is, as well as have my, and, and, and hold my own beliefs and have my, and hold my own favorites. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and keep those in, in, in the tuck, so to speak. Right. No, I think that's that's so important, and, and building those relationships so that kids actually listen is is super important. You know, what what kind of relationships have you built that you really looked back on that you can say like, you know, I'm proud of what I did here. This was a really good technique that I did because I think so much of the disconnect between generations in hip hop is that failure to connect and build relationships among generations. Right. I mean, it goes back to what I said is like, is, is meeting kids where they're at, like not censoring them, not trying to project uh, a, a standard of who they should be or what we, what they should believe in. You know, I do a lot of work in juvenile detention centers and I think that's some of my proudest work because these kids see me as a peer. They see me as like, you know, not necessarily a peer, but like an OG who, is, who actually has love for them. And it's not trying to change them or, or push them away from what they already identify with. And it's really just there to help them find a brighter path. And I think that they are the most receptive. You know what I'm saying? These are kids who are, you know, in, 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 a, in a really dark circumstance, you know, being in jail. That's kind of like for a kid, you lose your childhood the minute you walk behind those prison walls and like that, that correctional facility or whatever it is. When you have to respond and answer to COs all day and you're 13, 14 years old, that changes your worldview, that changes your perspective on who you are. So to come in those, to those environments in, in many cases and to just give them a, a, a taste of what it is just to be a kid. And what it is just to talk about music and vibe and all of that, they're extremely grateful. They, they, they find their sense of humanity again and they, and they become warm. They're warm to the idea of learning new things. They're warm to the idea of, um, you know, moving smarter if and when they get out, get on the outs, as they say, or coming out, you know what I'm saying, leaving 
even the correctional facility, they, they, they find options as opposed to what they were already doing. And then they gain insight into their own behavior patterns. So there's an opportunity for restorative justice to take place simply by allowing them to be them and just talking to them in the language of music. And I find that pr- profoundly rewarding. And it's one of those things where it's like, of all the things I get paid for as an artist or as an educator, I get paid maybe the least for juvenile detention center work, but it's the most rewarding. And it's mm-hmm. the one that I continue to make time for. Definitely. That's, that's incredible. And something that you talk about too is, you know, you're bringing social justice into the classroom. And in my research as a doctoral student and just being in, you know, seeing various teachers throughout my years of teaching, a lot of teachers have a lot of apprehension about bringing social justice ideas into the classroom, not really knowing how to address social justice issues, especially if we're looking at predominantly, we have white teachers talking about issues that affect basically people of color, non-white students, a lot of white teachers have trouble doing that and facilitating those conversations. So how do you make sure that you bring social justice topics and ideas into the classroom and make sure kids get that exposure and get to grapple with those issues? Well, for me, in in that context, I would say I have a, uh, I I start out with a a certain level of uh, luxury and benefit. Um, and it's, it's, it's ironic luxury and benefit. I started out with being black and being a person of color and having experienced the circumstances and the environments where social justice is needed. So I come from a very organic place of wanting social change. You know what I'm saying? I was one of those young kids being stopped in the street by police officers and being frisked and having guns pointed at me and having, you know, not being violent, but just literally being in wrong place, wrong time. I was one of those kind of children. I could have easily have been a Trayvon Martin or a Sean Bell or, you know, an Eric Garner for that matter, just for simply being black in America, being in the wrong place, wrong time. There could have been a myriad of reasons why cops could have apprehended me and, 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 and done a lot of different things. So my perspective in terms of the need and the urgency for social justice being talked about and discussed in a classroom setting is a lot more organic than say, you know, a middle class white kid who may not have had the same experiences as me. That's not to say that their perspective or their desire to bring social justice in the classroom doesn't have any less value or is not as um not as real. But I just it's it's something that's been intrinsic in me since I was a child. Right. You know what I'm saying? Whereas I, I, a lot of, uh, you know, if you're a teacher and you're in your 30s and you grew up in a, in a, in a middle class safe environment, um, you just kind of I think it starts with you and it starts with your your own uh, evolution in terms of your thinking and in terms of the worldview you have and accepting and owning up to your own white privilege or American privilege or whatever the case is and recognizing not only the urgency of implementing social justice, but the importance and the value it has in your individual life, let alone everybody else's. It's not like, oh, let's teach social justice so these black kids have something to to hold on to. It's like, let me teach social justice so that my life is better. My children's lives are better. You know what I'm saying? And, And making that connection, that personal and emotional connection to the material and to the desire to bring social justice and those kind of topics into the classroom and making kids very tactfully, you know, don't implement, don't impose it on them, but very tactfully make them understand how, how they stand to benefit, whether they're, you know what I'm saying? Whether they're an inner city black kid or a Latino kid, or they're a middle-class or upper-class white kid, make them all see how they can benefit from this kind of um, conversation 
having taken place in the classroom. So what issues have you really felt need to be addressed and and, and do you feel like you've done successfully? Um, I think what we, what, at least for, for my curriculum with Hip Hop for Change, what we specialize in is trying to make the distinction between rap music and hip hop culture and corporately co-opted rap music versus, you know, music that presents narratives that are rooted in the culture and the principles of hip hop, which are peace, love, unity, and having fun, right? Making that distinction, telling these kids like, hey, the majority of the music you're listening to is owned by three record labels. And those three record labels, you know what I'm saying, are responsible for 85% of the music that you're consuming. You know, 85% of the music that's out there is being consumed by young white kids from 18 to 25. You know, like what happens when that kid becomes a judge or a, a, a cop who has to patrol the streets of Harlem or, or West Oakland or wherever they're at. And considering, you know, there's, there's the, uh, the Pew Research study that says that, you know, three or four white Americans do not have a personal friend of color. All they're getting in terms of their experience of people of color is from the music, is from movies. And if corporations are painting the narrative that young black males or young black people in general are hyper-violent, hyper-materialistic, hyper-sexualized, then that's the perception that they walk around in the world with, and that's the perception that they use that informs their decisions when they have to sentence young black kids, when they have to, you know, stop and, and frisk somebody in, in the streets of, 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 of the inner city community. You know, that's the world that they're, so I, I, we, we make an emphasis on talking about that and talking about corporately co-opted hip, co-opted hip hop versus, you know, culturally based hip hop and the narratives and the storytelling that's involved in, 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 in both of them and making that distinction, you know, and understanding and having them understand that hip hop at, at this juncture is a spectrum. Like we say sex, like we say uh, gender is, or we say, uh, you know, autism is. We always, we use these terms where it's a spectrum, where there's a whole lot of gray between the black and white, right? Hip hop in and of itself after 45 years of evolution is a spectrum. You've got ratchet, ratchet shit and twerking all the way on one side, and you got, you know, public enemy and brand Nubian on the other. Like, you know, so in between you get your action Bronson's and your J Cole's and your Kendrick Lamar's and you know, whoever else you want to listen to, but that's the spectrum of it. And, and the idea and the goal is to create a community based counter narrative to what these corporations are doing so that our kids have a balance in consciousness. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to get rid of all the other shit. I'm not saying to like completely dismiss, all the ratchet, whatever, whatever, whatever. There's an entertainment value in it. I get the appeal, but the idea is to create a balance in the consciousness so that our kids are balanced because right now they're grossly disbalanced. You know what I'm saying? They're, 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 they're aspiring to consumer capitalist ideas of success and materialism and, and are, you know, or listening to songs that are propagating drug use as a form of self-medication for your trauma and your heartbreak and all of that. And that's, you know, that, that has real-world consequences. So, you know, the 85% of those young affluent white kids who are listening to this music don't have to suffer from the consequences of that versus the kid in Harlem who's listening to his favorite rapper and then trying to engage in activities that his favorite rapper is promoting that can end up, in, that can end up having him in jail. So we make, we make that real distinction, on, on, especially with middle school kids who are at that very tender, influential age, but then also high school kids who are already kind of finding their own and in their own mode. You know, and making those distinctions helps 
create that balance. Right. And I mean, I mean, that's important too, because that's the kind of stuff that's not addressed in a typical school day. Right. Totally. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not, not the hip hop is not discussed in the, in, in, in the average school day. And if you listen to a lot of hip hop music in general, whether it's Nas or whoever, there are, there are real, there are real conversations that are being had in these songs, you know, that I think are more relevant to the everyday experience of a kid more so than learning about Alexander Hamilton. And nowadays, like, I mean, using him as an example, now they're using hip hop to talk about Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know what I'm saying? So it, it, it shows, it just speaks to the value of this medium in terms of communicating information, in terms of communicating values and morals. And, and, and it, it's really on us as, as, as participants and practitioners of the culture to make sure that we can maintain and implement a moral compass. No doubt. And what do you think are ways that teachers can actually implement hip hop in their classrooms in an authentic kind of way, not just like, Hey, we're going to listen to this Tupac song. Because if you look at any teaching movie, you know, like <laughs> Tupac is the artist that like, Tupac is the go-to. He's the go-to. <laughs> and it's like, you know, nothing, against Tupac obviously like he's a legend and incredible and he should be studied but like Tupac is the guy like maybe Jay-Z maybe Kanye you know but like not too many you know teachers might even be aware of who's out there like how do you get teachers to you know do a Joey Badass song in class and like teach it like and and not look at it as something cool and different but look at it as something like engaging and important for the for their students to actually study and understand right i mean again i think it start it comes with starting from a very organic place listen to the music because you want to listen to the music you know what i'm saying then you become familiar with some of the some of the different other acts that aren't the 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 default go-tos for teaching hip-hop in classrooms right um you know be, becoming a, a a participant or at least a a a uh an observer of the culture in its entirety. But I think further to that, it's, it's what I always tell when I, when I train teachers, I always tell, I always tell them, learn who your co-teachers are, right? Create your teacher's lounge, right? In the same way that in the school, you have the teacher's lounge, all the teachers there, they all talk about the same kids because they all teach the same kids. There are teachers outside of the classroom, right? Instagram is a teacher of your students. Facebook is a teacher of your student. Snapchat is a teacher of your student. YouTube, television, their parents. These are the teachers of your student. You see what I'm saying? Right. Just as much as the rappers. They're all teachers of your students. So learn who your teaching staff is. Learn who your co-teachers are. Um, and, 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 and recognize that like outside of your classroom, these are the people who are really imp- instrumental in providing the worldview for your students. So when you start to understand that and you understand, you start seeing these mediums of social media or these platforms of social media or you start seeing these rappers as colleagues in a sense, then you have a different insight and you have a, a, different, a profoundly different look as to the, the, the mental makeup of your student. And I think approaching it that way, then you, you're able to talk to them from an organic place. And, and, you know, you can write certain lyrics on the board and, and have them break it down, whether it's an English class or if it's a social studies class. You know, I mean, there's I can, you know, talk all day about how many social studies topics can be discussed by using anybody's lyrics 
from any song, whether it's Kanye West or Common or somebody like Sky High the Print, like you can find ways to bring the, this 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 music into your subject matter, whether it's geometry, whether it's social studies, English, math, whatever the case is, there are ways because of the, how broad based hip hop is and how diverse it is. There are ways to, to find a way to, to talk about it in a way that, you know, and you as a teacher, you also know like what they call culturally responsive pedagogy, right? Like right. what it is to, to meet kids in, 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 in a framework that is, that is, um, that speaks to their experience. So I just think, you know, you just got to know who your co-teachers are ultimately. I think that's an incredible point. And now here, here's like kind of a more picky question, but it's something I'm curious about because I know this is something that comes up with administrators and some teachers is, well, you know, this verse is great, but the whole song has sexual connotations or there's profanity, you know, and I can't play it for my kids. I can't expose it to my kids to this because I'll get in trouble. And, you know, how do you deal with, that because like there's been certain songs that it's like man this this verse would be so great to play but then like right at the end of the verse it's like oh like there's no way that could go over the yeah. speakers you know what i mean like um and teachers aren't wrong for protecting themselves and not exposing students to certain content that that might not be school or age appropriate but how do you work around that when there's so much great content in songs but sometimes there's like one or two bars that just like you know, you you don't want the kids to hear uh, in the school yeah. setting. Like, how do you do it? I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's about getting buy-in from the administration, making sure that the administration is on your side. I'm blessed in most cases to have an administration in, in many of the schools that I'm working in really advocating for us and the work that we're doing because they recognize the value of it. So they saying by any means necessary, however you need to teach these kids is however you teach these kids. And then, you know, you have that level of communication, which full disclosure, Hey, we want to share this song. How do you feel about these lyrics? You know what I'm saying? Like in many cases, and so a lot of times in, in my experience, they'll let me slide, you know, but I, I, it's having those conversations first and getting that buy-in that saves you. Because if you're going to just unilaterally do it and then all of a sudden the kids are like rumoring about how they heard a curse word song in the, in the classroom or they heard a dirty song and then the, the, the administration's looking at you crazy, right? And given that we're already, given that we're hip hop, we're already coming in with a trust deficit, right? You tell administrators, hey, we want to use hip hop to teach these kids. They're already looking at you sideways and they don't know what that really means unless they've been a member or a practitioner of the culture. Um so we already have that trust deficit. So you got to kind of play political in those kind of arenas and you got to get buy-in. So I always try to get buy-in from the administrators so that they can see the value of what it is. If I want to bring a certain kind of song in so that they can understand it. And it's, you know, I also tell them, I also try to rationalize with them and say, look, these kids are hearing worse the minute they leave school. You know what I'm saying? Like listen to what's on their phone when they're when, before, while they're in the hallway. If you listen to the music that they're playing in there in the hallway, it's a lot worse than whatever it is that I'm about to play for the classroom. Right. You know what I mean? So, it, it, you know, I can't, we, hip hop does not have a monopoly on violence or misogyny or whatever the case is. We are a microcosm of a larger American problem. You know what I'm saying? And I think we, we become the scapegoat for all things violent, all things hypersexual and, 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 and evil and all of those things. And it's just like, look, we're, we're just holding a mirror up to what's really going on in the world. And the kids shouldn't be uh, 
shouldn't be hidden from that or shouldn't be sheltered from that because they're not. That's the truth of it. It's like they're not. You know, you may get the the super hyper vigilant and hypersensitive parent who may not want their kid exposed to certain things. You know, but unbeknownst to that that parent, in many cases, their kid is already listening to things that are ten times worse. So you know, it starts with getting buy in from the administrators, and um, it trickles down from there. No doubt. Yeah, no, I know that stu- like kids are, you know, exposed to so much more outside of school in terms of what they listen to and that it's not going to be new for the kids. But being a teacher, like I'm aware of how like hip hop can be weaponized against the teacher as well in ways that other content and other genres of music or showing like a clip from a movie might not be. You know what I mean? Right, for sure. And so I appreciate you expanding on how to um, how to address that and, and, and your experiences with that because that's been something that I've seen and, and thought about. And, you know, you, you read articles about teachers who kind of more inappropriately just play certain songs or not really understand exactly what they're doing but think that they're being effective or, or connecting to kids. And they just – you read the article and you're like, man, you did that all wrong. Right. Exactly, because they're 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 doing they're going in there like unilaterally, as a as a as a maverick some of some sort, kind of just guns blazing like I'm gonna be a rebel and I'm gonna just uh, you know upset the system, and you know you gotta you know you gotta kind of work with the system sometimes. I'm very you know to 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 whether some people may consider it a fault of mine, but I'm very diplomatic and I'm very political with with regard to everything in my career, whether it's just me and my music or making connections. It's all about relationships. So when you develop those relationships then you have more leeway. You know what I'm saying? And, and that, it really starts from there. And then from that point forward, you know, as long as you have people behind you who see your vision, then, then you're cool. But if you're going to just go ahead and go at it unilaterally to stir things up, then you create more enemies that way. And then people are just looking for a reason to shut you down. So something as simple as a curse word <laughs> in a rap song could be the reason why none of these kids can ever get hip-hop pedagogy again. Because right. you wanted to... You know what I'm saying? Because you were insisting on playing that blue face song in the middle of class. Like, you know I mean? And I'm sure there's times, too, when you have to just kind of smile and meet the teachers where they're at, too, even if you don't agree with what they're saying or kind of their totally. outlook. Yeah, there's but totally like, times where, like, I have to curb my lesson plan and not get as in-depth as I want to because they're saying they're just, you know, and the, and the teachers themselves, they're afraid. They're playing politics in the same way that we're playing politics. You know what I'm saying? They only have so many bullets to shoot. And they may not want to shoot their bullets for this class. They may want to use that for something else that they want to play. So you got to, you know, you got to be receptive and understanding of that. And what kind of connections and networking do you find with other scholars and other practitioners in your field? You know, because the field is definitely growing and it's more and more places are seeing it as viable teaching and, and important um, for students to have. Whereas before it was very like, you know, segmented, at least in my, in my view, it was, um, do you find that there's a lot of like kind of networking and, and sharing of ideas and collaboration among people who do what you do? Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm at conferences at least once a month. I'm, I'm, I'm joined by or working with, um, you know, another hip hop try to find opportunities for collaboration you know many hands makes light work and i always say you know to, to you know and, and and my my uh my colleagues always make fun of me i always say like we need to stop 
the nonprofit gangbanging. We need to stop this whole idea of is is the is the be all and end all of hip hop education in the Bay Area or wherever we're at. You know, we need to stop that whole idea of that it's me, 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 my, 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 where it's like we're all doing the work and we're all collaborating and we're all willing to collaborate with one another, we can affect more change if we do that. You know, this person has, oh, this is a beat-making organization. These guys just do DJing. These guys just do MCing. These guys talk about the history. Let's kind of create it all. You know, there's, there's amazing um, organizations and events out here in the Bay Area that, that always kind of stand at the forefront of that collaboration. Hip Hop Congress is one of them. That, that's a national um, organization that, that creates networks of hip-hop educators and provides them resources and all of these other things. You also have uh, Rock to School Bells, which is an annual conference every year at one of the colleges out here in the Bay Area that brings in hip-hop educators from all over the Bay and all over the country to, to just kind of give workshops and provide services to the students and provide resources and mentorship and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a movement, right? Hip-hop pedagogy is a movement going from, you know, as far as the Nas Harvard Fellowship um, you know what I'm saying? The hip hop fellowship at Harvard, for, you know, the Nas spearheaded down to like, you know, the, the, the second grade teacher using rap lyrics to have the kids read more. Like it's, it's a movement going on in this country that's, that's helping especially people of color, but kids in general kind of learn in a better way and learn in, in, in a more uh, practical and appealing way. And so, when when you also look at what you do as a as a practitioner and spreading this you know knowledge and doing workshops in classrooms, how do you balance that with being an artist? Because you know you're seen you know in one respect when you're in the classrooms. Do people ever have a tough time reconciling this image that like you can teach about it and be an artist at the same time? Um, I haven't run into that issue yet, uh, in terms of like being an artist and, and having the content that I have juxtaposed with me teaching the culture and the, and the history of it in the classroom. And I'm, I'm, I'm very honest with my students. I'm very real with my students. I don't, you know what I'm saying? I don't censor myself and I don't say, Hey, I'm, my music is all about this. I just, I let them know like my music is about my life and what I live and what my experience is. And some of it is positive, some of it is good and wholesome and great and all of it, you know what I'm saying? There may be language or there may be uh, a tone or there may be certain references that you know may not be appropriate for kids your age, but that's my music. Um, doesn't mean that I can't teach it. <laughs> doesn't mean that I can't teach you how to be an artist or teach you how to use this, um, this music in, in your own walk of life and all of that stuff. So I, I haven't run into that issue where people are, are, are saying, hey, there needs to be some sort of, or there needs to be more cohesion between your teaching persona and your artist persona. I think my artist persona has always been who I am. And, and as an artist, I've, I've, I seem to have hit my stride in terms of success by just being forthright honest. I mean, you've known me more so than any other person who's followed my career. And, you know, I mean, from, from its onset, I've always been unlearned to some extent, but if, and I've always provided socially conscious content, if you want to call it that. But as I've gotten older, I've started to, to kind of merge that social consciousness with just being forthright and just talking about, like, what they now call grown man rap. 
right? right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just like talking about being married or being divorced or having kids and paying bills. And you know what I'm saying? Like the, the things that we go through as adults who grew up in this culture, those stories need to be told just as much as anything else. And they're going to always have a tone to them. They're always going to be rough around the edges because hip hop is still rough around the edges. So, you know, um, it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm always willing to address if and when the situation presented itself where somebody is calling me out or, or um, wanting to really hold me to task for things I may say in my, in my albums or my music versus things I may say in a classroom. But I, don't, I, I would submit and argue that it's never contradictory and it's all above board. No doubt. And looking at that, you know, are you able to really kind of separate your creative process and the music you make from the the nonprofit work that you do? Um, I could if I wanted to. I don't choose to. Um, I recognize who my audience is, right? So I recognize that my audience is my students just as much as it's my colleagues, just as much as it's anybody else that I'm trying to affect with my music. Um so I speak to those stories. I speak to the stories of, of you know, the homegirl I was, I was smoking weed with. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just as much as I talk to this, I speak about the stories of that, that, that kid who I have in the after school program. You know what I'm saying? And, and I try to echo the stories of the kids who I teach in juvenile detention and what they tell me. And, like, I, I echo all of these stories. They're all legit stories. And they're all, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're all legitimate insight. So, um... It's 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 always worked for me. Like I've I've always my music and who I am as an MC has significantly helped me as a hip hop educator. It's given me the social capital necessary to not only be hired but to be put in these classrooms and to, and and to get buy in from the students, right? But at the same time, my hip hop education work has also helped prepare pro propel my professional career because they're like, look, he's he's a rapper and he's out here in the community doing the work. You know, so they, they go hand in hand. And as a kid, I've always told myself, I said, I want to be um, either a career academic or I want to be a rapper. Like that was those are the choices I made when I was very young. I said, I, I, either I'm going to keep going to school, get a Ph.D. and become a career academic or I'm just going to be I'm going I'm to really make it from this rap shit. Um, you know, and I just, I'm blessed and privileged to be in a position where I don't have to choose and that those roles are not mutually exclusive from one another, you know? Um, and I, I, however I made it here is by the grace of God. And I'm just trying to keep that momentum going. Exactly. And, you know, you look at your last release, um, universes dropped last year, um, incredible project. And I just feel like, um, like you mentioned it earlier, but like being able to follow your career and just like follow the music and how you've, you know, grown as an artist and the topics you've addressed. I feel like a project like this really just shows you um, addressing and thinking about and processing like all aspects of your life in ways that other projects that you've done haven't done. So at least maybe as like in depth, um, in depthly. Right. Totally. Totally. Like, you know, I, I get, I get, I get real. And I, and it was, it, it took me being in a very, um, in a very safe and great space in my life to, to be able to reflect on my experiences, you know, in a, in a, in a way that's very, um, truthful and, and articulate and eloquent. 
And I think, it, it, you know, it just, it comes with growing, growing as an artist, growing as a man, um, growing as a producer, growing as a musician, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think, I want to say 60%, 65% of that album was self-produced. So I made all the beats, you know what I'm saying, for the most part. So it comes with just being a student of the game and learning how to produce music and produce music for myself and saying, all right, how are, how are you going to tell your story? What, what, is, how, what references are, good, are you going to use to convey your narrative, to get your message across? And I think I did that very well on that last album. I think I'm very proud of, of what I did and how it came out and the people I collaborated with in order to make it happen. Um, and I, you know, I, I still listen to my older stuff and there's still part of my older stuff that I'm like, damn, that was, that was like, I wish I could recapture that, but that was for, that was for that time as opposed to now, you know, I, I would like to think that I still have the same level of vigor and intensity that I've always had. It's just more, I think it's more um, polished. I think it's, it's, it's in a, it's, it's more polished and it has a clearer, clearer intent um, than my previous work. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with my artistry and, and how it's grown and developed. And I appreciate you for having noticed the, the growth of it, having, having seen it from its, from its very uh, humble beginning, so to speak. Hey man, we go back to the "Love Me, Hate Me" by Jake One. Uh, that got you hip hop game artist of the month <laughs> back in like I want to say like August, July, August of two thousand four. Yeah, by doing today. Um, shout out to Jake One because I was telling my homeboy who I'm teaching with. We're literally in a class and we're wrapping up the class, and I said, "Dude, I have like pretty much a whole mixtape with Jake One." <laughs> long time ago um you know but i it, yeah it's what that was one of my favorite records the fact that you mentioned that it's just crazy um but yeah like just from from those days and like you know having that 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 kind of that that energy is still there you know what i'm saying but i think i've i've fine-tuned it i think i've been able to focus like a laser on what it is that i want to say and not be so all over the place even though i kind of still am right i still i think there's like a there's a cohesion in my chaos, so to speak, where I can be as honest and as forthright as I, I want to be and have all these varying uh, sounds and, and, and be everywhere sonically because my personality is everywhere. You know what I'm saying? I'm a socially conscious dude who likes to dance. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't get that too much. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I, I think that, like, looking back then and to where I am now, you, you can see that growth and you can see... You can see that growth, but at the same time, you can also see that um, there's there's a, there's something that's continuing to thread through the music. Right, and I, I think something that you do really well too is, you know, with your inflections and the way you use your voice in terms of creating that cohesion and chaos, and just the emphasis on certain lines. I mean, how conscious are you of just how you use your voice and like how you how you can inflect at certain times for different emphasis? Um, it's always been something that I've been very cognizant and aware of, right? It's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's something I tell my students. It's something that's been told to me on several occasions by, you know what I'm saying, best friends of mine, my older brother, in terms of the way my voice carries over, my delivery, right? Like that's, it's been very, uh, it's been a point of mine to work on my delivery throughout my years. And, and I studied theater in, in, in high school. 
and I studied theater in college. So I understand what it is to not only enunciate and articulate your voice and to project your voice, but to use different facets of your mouth, pause, and, and be able to speak and, and use your tools, right? Your tool is your voice, your, 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 your mouth, whatever you, you know what I'm saying? And be able to kind of add those dynamics into your delivery and not be so monotone. Even though there are great, there are a lot of rappers who are, who are great monotone guru. You know what I'm saying? Guru, yep. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? The king of monotone, like Jada kiss very mon Like those are, they're great at what they do. But then you have, you have your Tupac's, you have your Method Man, you have your Biggie Smalls, you have your Jay-Z's, right? Who Jay-Z came out with a style where everybody thought he was talking. First time I, first time I heard Friend of Foe, I thought it was an a, a introduction to a beat or a, to, a, to another song. He just was talking. You know what I mean? And it, it's, that, it's that, talkative, that talkative style that creates that, that dynamic, those inflections and that, that up and down that we have when we're having conversations where you get emotional about one thing and then you get very subtle with the next thing. And it really depends on what you're talking about. And when I develop and work with other artists, I always tell them, like, know who your audience is. And in more particularly, in every bar that you write, know and understand what was the inspiration for that bar. Where is the emotional connection? Start to emotionally map your verses so that the delivery matches what it is that you're trying to say. Because every verse, every bar in the verse is going to have its own level of emotion to it. So when you remember and you, and you hold fast that memory of how you started that verse or where it came from, where that, that, that inspiration came from, your voice and your body will automatically, like intrinsically respond. It will have a physiological response to the memory. So when I'm, when I'm in the booth by myself and I'm recording myself, I remember it very clearly what was the inspiration behind each bar. And it allows me then to convey that emotion on that level. You know what I'm saying? So like, you know, sometimes it's very cool, calm and collected. Sometimes it's really anxious, anxious and, 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 and angry. And you know, that's life. You know what I mean? So like, I, I try to make sure that my voice is very indicative of the life that I live. No doubt. And so that's a great explanation. And so I'm curious then building off of that, what is your writing process like these days? It's really all over the place, right? Like sometimes and I tell people all the time, Certain songs will start with um, a cadence, right? Like I'll listen to a beat and I'll hear a cadence and I start kind of just like mumbling <laughs> to myself, like a weirdo, like I'll mumble to myself to just under, to get a sense of the orality and the cadence and then I can fill it in with lyrics. And there's other times where the beat comes in and I hear it and the words will just come to me. So there are whole songs that I have where literally they're just like constructed freestyles a la Jay-Z, you know what I'm saying? Like where you kind of like freestyle it and then you memorize it and you memorize the verse without having to write it down. And then there are other verses that are extremely, um, uh, I guess, disciplined and, 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 and mechanical, so to speak. Where it's like, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, I'm, I, I know exactly all the syllables that are being put into this bar. And I know that this is going to be a multi-syllable rhyme scheme and how I'm creating the pattern. I'm very intentional with the way that the pattern is created and, and calculated. Um, so it varies depending on the beat, depending on the music and the vibe. It can go anywhere. It can be something as organic as, oh, I'm just freestyling this verse to something like, no, I, I sat down for two days and I created this. And so when you look at that, what's your editing process like in terms of like what you revise and what you keep? Um, 
it has to push the story forward. You know what I'm saying? Like, either it has to push the story forward in terms of the wordplay and the cadence or with, with, with what I'm saying, right? So I, I try, I go over verses very scrupulously and I, I make sure that there's not a weak bar in any of the shit, right? Like, I make sure, like, like the, I'm not spitting anything that's trash or that could be kind of just dismissed. I don't, I, I hate having the setup bar and then the punchline bar where you don't pay attention to the setup bar. Even my setup bars will have something in the way of cadence or in the way of a metaphor that's dope that people are like, damn, he said that. And then like, I come, I come harder with the next punchline bar. And it's, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's set up so that my verses are as dense as possible. So, you know what I'm saying? One, one bar may be completely introspective and have like a, a miniature anecdote about my life. The next bar may be braggadocio and I'm talking about, you know, I'm, I'm studying on these rappers or whatever the case is. And then the next bar could be completely hilarious or, or reference a woman I'm dating or something to that effect or reference a memory. Like, so I make it very dense. I, I, I make the point to make my verses as dense as possible and as comprehensive as possible. So it really doesn't matter what the vibe of the song is, you're still going to get some level of social consciousness. You're still going to get some level of wit, um, humor. You know, you're going to get a lot in, in, in a verse from me. No, no doubt, man. And what I also love is like, you, you take a song like Try off of Universes where you're really like talking about your own personal goals and your kind of current state of mind and just kind of where you're at, you know. Do you feel like you're at your best when you're talking about yourself and your personal situations and kind of just like reflecting but you know talking about like your goals for your own growth at the same time yeah no totally i think that's that's where i i i think i meet my genius in in those moments you know and, and i've always known that of myself from one level or another because that's how i got into this rapping shit like that i started rapping to make sense of the life that i was living like it was very unique and it was very different from everybody else around me so i started rapping to make sense of it um, so when I'm introspective is when I'm at my best. And I've had friends of mine tell me like, yo, I love your verse. I love your songs when you're just talking about your life because they can relate. They know who I am. So they know what it is that I've gone through and what I've experienced. So they, they can feel it from an organic place. Right. But for me, it's a matter of trying to have that, that same level and that same energy um, that you would have as, as just a braggadocio rapper. But but speaking about your life, one of my favorite songs ever is Everyday Struggle from B.I.G., where his cadence is insane, and he has his bars are heavy, but he's talking about a, a mind state. He's talking about, you know what I'm saying, a mentality. And I think, you know, my whole, my whole rap name is a mentality. Unlearn the world is a mission statement. So I have to convey that on one level or another. What, it is, what is it that I'm unlearning? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is it that I'm trying to... What habits am I, am I trying to break? You know what I'm saying? It's one thing for me to espouse or to, or to, to, to give people that statement, but not show, to not show them what the struggle is to do that is criminal almost. You know what I'm saying? So I make sure that I'm showing people what, what the struggle is of unlearning the world, breaking your own bad habits, reconditioning your mind from what it is that you've chosen to accept. And, and, and trying to create a new path for yourself. So songs like Try, it's probably one of my favorite songs on the album. It's probably why I started it, because it just gives you that glimpse into who I am and what it is that I'm, what it is that I'm doing. And like, so you get your social consciousness, you get me kind of talking about social issues and starting with that, that second verse, like they promised us 40 acres and a mule, but instead we get prisons in the form of a school. And then I go into, you know, talking about cleaning up my own shit. 
<laughs> and you know what I'm saying? Recognizing like where, where I'm lacking and, and how I can make get better. And then I, I'm starting and it, 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 it varies. It runs the gamut all over the place. You know what I'm saying? Because I sometimes run all over the place. And the whole song is called Try, which means like you're making the attempt for better. You know what I mean? So, so no doubt, man. So looking at what you've what you've done, Universes came out last year. What kind of new music have you been working on and what's kind of on deck for you um, in 2019? Um, so 2019, I'm going to just expand the model of what I've been doing. Take the momentum of last year, which was probably the biggest year of my career. You know, I opened up for Wu-Tang or I opened up for Ghostface and Raekwon, opened up for Far Side, opened up for Planet Asia, opened up for Sky Zoo. Like I've, I've done a lot in, a, in, in one that has kind of set the stage for what I'm fit to do this year. And this year is about expanding the business model of Unlearn the World, expanding the brand of Unlearn the World, but in terms of the content, creating content that is really rooted in my life as an artist, as an educator, you know what I'm saying? In all these different various forms of my life and creating content that really articulates and, and, and can speak to that experience so that people can see that and, 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 and buy into it. Um, and, you know, I'm doing that with just creating a web series, creating my, my website, unlearntheworld.com. is going to be a fully functional blog and service, so to speak, as well as a social network for everybody who fucks with my music and fucks with my content. Um, so there's that. Putting together new music, I, I, I got an album that I'm working on now, the, the, the working type. So it's really about like owning your own stuff and just, and just like being real with who you are and being honest with who you are and the things that you do and trying to trying to improve on yourself in in all of your perfect imperfections. Um, so working on like the narratives and and the, and the stories that I'm choosing to tell and the stories that I'm trying to be courageous enough to tell and 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 be honest with um, everything from like relationship issues to parenting issues to like you know. Uh, what my nightlife is like and, and, and trying to like convey what this world exists, how, how I exist in this world. Um, but doing it in a real honest way, that's also very current in terms of the, the sound that I'm bringing, but then very rooted in hip hop and very rooted in what like real golden era hip hop sounds like, but also still remaining relevant to the time, which is always a, a challenge, right? You know what I'm saying? Like being a sample based producer, I try to create beats that are like, yeah, this could be played for anybody and this could work this could work for any artist, but it's still rooted in what hip hop is. Break drums, samples, hard hitting drums, you know what I'm saying? Like all of that stuff. So it's it's I'm I'm really excited. I'm already like two songs into working on the project. I hope to have it done by the summertime because there's a lot of cool summertime records and like vibey records like that. Um and and but the content is gonna be there. It's not like I'm trying to chase a hit. I'm still honest. I'm with myself. I'm still honest with what I'm trying to do and the message that I'm trying to convey, and just just being more in depth with it and being a little bit more courageous in what I'm looking to reveal. The lives and deaths of the stars seem impossibly remote from human experience, and yet we're related in the most intimate way to their life cycles. The very matter that makes us up was generated long ago and far away in giant stars. Mass incarceration of our constellations Falling stars and stripes inside this damnation The 40 acres they promised is still the plantation This is why native Indians had their land taken Politics 
politicians are kissing babies and handshaking, smiling your face, but they really Ku Klux Klan racist. Hip-hop is a new form of transformation, a new way to access heaven in this land of Satan. TikTok, the hands and sands of time wasting. A whole generation is getting high and wasted. Shit. How do you measure a man's greatness? From the money he's making or the lives he's changing? Heaven's messages are getting lost in translation. Too busy status updating and selfie taking. Bright faces still dark from soul starvation. When I look inside myself, I'm really stargazing. few millennia, we have made the most astonishing and unexpected discoveries about the cosmos and our place within it. Some part of our being knows this is where we came from. We long to return. And we can, because the cosmos is also within us. We're made of star stuff. We are a way. The cosmos has no itself. itself.